truck and load. This is Steve Dace. The Steve Dace Show. And greetings. Welcome to The Blaze Live and On Demand. This is The Steve Dace Show. That would be me. Todd and Aaron are here with me as well. If you want to let us know what you think about what we think, Steve at SteveDace.com is the email address. You can like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Dace Show. For those of you listening via Blaze Radio or on the podcast, last name is D-E-A-C-E. And if you are listening today via podcast, if you wouldn't mind on the podcasting platform of your choice, leaving us a five-star review, we would greatly appreciate that coming up uh, later in this hour it's our weekly uh break it's our smoke break uh from the world of politics three non-political questions and then next hour we're gonna have some fun uh an, an old sports media peer of mine that uh is, is i guess i, I want to be fair and I don't want to oversell it at the same time. So I, I think it's fair to say he would be more liberal than me on some issues. You guys think that's a fair? Is that a fair description? Yeah, I think so. I think okay. he, he says that's a fair description, okay. Okay. I think. So uh, one of the things he does now, uh, he's like an architect, so he's really smart. Uh, and then when he's not being really smart, he is the uh, sideline reporter for the, uh, for the Iowa State uh, football uh, radio network. And that's how we got to know each other because I used to cover him when he was a player. Uh, and and then we used to cover the Cyclones together when he got into the media. So I thought it would be fun because we've, trust me, we have tried to do this many times. I, I, saw, uh, I saw my buddy Todd Starnes over at Fox Nation was talking about this on his Twitter account that he keeps trying to get people from the other side, you know, and they're not often interested in having these conversations. Uh, and... When we have an opportunity to do it, we like to take advantage of it. And uh, since I've known Ben for going on 20 years, and I am so depressed that that's true. (laughs) I just said that out loud. So since I've known our guest, who will be with us next hour for upwards of 20 years, and since he was once an all-Big 12 college football player, I know he will not be intimidated. Uh, and and because we've had uh, a relationship for a long time, I think there is permission to speak freely without worrying about hurting each other's feelings. So I'm going to let him come in next hour. You know, he's got some experience interviewing people in, uh, in uh, hot situations. And I'm going to give, I'm going to turn the floor over to him and I'm going to let him interview us from his perspective. And I told him, don't tell us what we're talking about. So this could be, it's, it's our Theology Thursday. There could be some theology in there. There, there could be some philosophy in there. There could be some contemporary, uh, you know, uh, socioeconomic or geopolitical issues in there. And we're just going to sit here uh, and shoot the breeze and let him try to put us on the spot and come now and reason together. So we're looking forward to that uh, in the second hour of the show. But it's a big day today. I don't know if you guys know this, but it is uh, World Book Day. Did you know? Did you know that? I did not. It is, actually. It's a, it's a thing that's actually trending right now on Twitter. It is World Book Day. So, I mean, if you're looking for a book that will make you laugh, it'll make you cry. It'll make you cry some more, and then you'll probably consider self-harm. If you're, if you're looking for that book, and I mean, why wouldn't you, right? If you're looking for that book, uh, check out uh, Truth Bombs, Confronting the Lies Conservatives Believed or Our Own Demise, available now at Amazon.com, as well as bookstores everywhere, right next to Kamala Harris, apparently. Uh, But if you get yours at Amazon, our publisher would appreciate it. If you could leave us a five-star review, uh, if you haven't uh, done so already, our publisher would appreciate that as well. There it is. 
the book that will have you consider cutting yourself. By what do you think, Todd? Chapter eight, nine? Oh, sooner. So- <laughs> I love how he said that with glee in his voice. <laughs> I know, he's like, I didn't even get that far. Wife's like, why am I going back to get more Band-Aids? What are you doing over here? Todd's over here cutting himself. Editing reading the, Steve's book? Yeah, while he was My editing job. it. If you ever wonder why wrestlers wear, have like the tape in their fingers, you ever wondered why that is? I learned many years later. They put razor blades in there. And so when they do like steel cage matches and stuff, it doesn't make any sense that someone would throw your face into a steel cage and you wouldn't cut you open, right? And so when you see them like down on the mat like this and their heads are down, you know, what they're doing is they're cutting themselves so they can, uh, they can you know, create the illusion that, that they didn't put their hands up to cover their face, but they went face first into the steel cage. That's why I remember Dusty, the American Dream Roads. You remember him? Yeah. And those, remember that from that era, how those guys should have all these scars and of stuff course. on their foreheads? That's from the cutting. But the cutting moral themselves. of the story is that that's what it's story, like to work that's, here? That's what Todd was doing. He was like Dusty, the American Dream Roads. He was in a corner at his home, cutting himself uh, in a corner in a fetal while editing this book as it was being uh, written last Are year. Are you going to call me American Dream from now on? Uh, here's Aaron with what happened while we were away. What happened while we were away brought to you by Be Still, My Beating Heart. Tonight, I'd like to share a few thoughts, however, about what I fear is a new direction for the president and his administration and what could very likely be a catastrophe for our working men and women, small business and entrepreneurs, our middle class, the American family, the very people this president has represented from the moment he announced he would run for the presidency. Now, I try never to overstate, let alone indulge in hyperbole, but what we watch unfold today at the White House was to me a disastrous policy turn and heartbreaking. We're gonna have a lot of people coming into the country. We want a lot of people coming in and uh, we need it. We wanna have the companies uh, grow and the only way they're gonna grow is if we give them the the workers, and the only way we're going to have the workers is to do exactly what we're doing. To be clear, the presence of the Chamber of Commerce president, Tom Donahue, is impossible to misinterpret. D.C.'s biggest lobbyist wants to reverse the direction of rising labor costs and return to the cheap labor policies of the 20 years that preceded the Trump presidency. It is important to never forget who your friends are. And if this White House thinks that listening to the beguiling prattle of Tim Cook, Tom Donahue, rhino senators like Susan Collins is helpful to this president, then the battle for the forgotten man and woman in this country will be decided by the very establishment this president ran against. Lou Dobbs criticizing the president. We've surely seen it all now. Ilan Omar channeled her inner Bernie Sanders and pretended to be on the phone whilst being asked about her latest anti-Semitic comments. Speaking of, Democrat presidential hopefuls are circling the wagons in support of Omar. Bernie Sanders said, What I fear is going on in the House now is an effort to target Congressman Omar as a way of stifling that debate. That's wrong. Kamala Harris says, I'm concerned that the spotlight being put on Congresswoman Omar may put her at risk. Elizabeth Warren said, branding criticism of Israel as automatically anti-Semitic has a chilling effect on our public discourse. And now, a Love is Love update. First cousins in love with each other petition to get legally married in Utah.
The couple's goal is to get 1,000 signatures. As of Wednesday morning, about 75 have signed on. Angela Ping told CBS News she's loved her cousin Michael Lee since she was in second grade. Ping's father is the oldest of 12 children. His sister, the fifth child in that family, is Lee's mother. We just always played a lot, Ping remembered of her childhood interactions with Lee. We went into a closet and we were kissing and dancing together. It just felt really natural. Could pedophilia be treated as a crime or an illness? If sex with children is truly the product of freely made moral choices, then we should deal with it through the criminal justice system. But if it is a genetically overdetermined impulse, an uncontrollable urge nestled in our DNA, then punishing pedophiles must be morally wrong. Two women began dating, then one started a male transition. I do identify us as a straight couple now. Oh, I've been lesbian since I was young, so my family's open to it. The only thing they disagreed for a little bit was the age difference. I was 17 and she was 14 at the mm -hmm. time. But now it doesn't seem too bad because I'm 22 and she's about to be 22 and she's 19. Today we fall in love through our phones. Maybe your phone itself could be just as satisfying. In real life, pioneers of human android romance now have a name, Digisexuals, which some academics and futurists have suggested constitutes an emergent sexual identity. Whether the notion is absurd, inevitable, or offensive, it raises more than a few questions. For starters, in a world where sex toys that respond and give feedback and artificial intelligence-powered sex robots are inching toward mainstream, are digisexuals a fringe group destined to remain buried in the sexual underground? Or in a culture permeated with online pornography, sexting, and Tinder swiping, isn't everyone a closet digisexual? I'm lost. And that's what happened while we were away. Who's cutting themselves now, Steve Dace? Who's cutting themselves now? Are your ears bleeding? <laughs> Are they itching? Do you wish they were plugged? I'm sorry. Do you not want them to be plugged up? I think that's, is that what's in the script? Yeah. Yeah. You don't want that plugged up feeling. Well, you, you may have wanted it 90 seconds ago, but now you don't. You don't want that plugged up feeling anymore. Are you constantly asking people to repeat themselves, except when it comes to Aaron's montage, which you are just eagerly awaiting its end? If that's you, yes. And <laughs> isn't isn't it us all right now? Uh, check out our friends at WaxRx. They use a physician-developed formula that safely and effectively removes earwax buildup in the comfort and convenience of your own home. doesn't require uh, a long wait in a doctor's office, let alone the expensive trip to have it professionally done. You can have a professional-grade cleaning done by you. Uh, with our friends at WaxRx, and now you can get it without a prescription as well. Here's how. You can try the WaxRx system risk-free today. Just go to usewaxrx.com and use the offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. UseWaxRx, that's the website, usewaxrx.com, offer code radio at checkout for free shipping. Where to um, Where to begin? Um, I just want to say a quick thing about the whole Ilian Omar 
anti-Semitism. I, I still believe they're going to dump her. Uh, the, the issue they're running into is they've got so many victims and grievance groups. I mean, the story yesterday about the school district in the UK that had to dump rainbow jihad indoctrination because there's a high population, uh, a high Muslim population in that district. And the Muslim parents don't want their kids being indoctrinated by that. That's like a 16-1 upset there in the in March Madness. Well, and what did on you the intersectionality how, bracket? Yeah, how did you describe it? A spy versus spy yes. kind of stuff. Yeah, you know, here's what I think that is representative of. the The goal of of this of and maybe I need to clarify it because there are different branches of progressivism. There's your Teddy Roosevelt kind of progressive. That would be a Mitt Romney kind of guy, right? Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, then there's your run of the mill political progressive. Uh, I maybe we need to further clarify what I mean. Spirit of the age progressivism. I've been using that term a little bit this week. Meaning this is this is a religion. Okay, this is a competing religious system. Uh, spirit of the age progressivism. It, its intended goal is the deconstruction of Judeo-Christian orthodoxy. And whatever, whatever, whatever the intersectionality scale I would define as spirit of the age progressivism. And if you look at the, the ranking system, um, can I can I translate what that ranking system is? Can I tr- give you? Can I tell you what it really means? Yeah. Here's what it really means. Whatever has the most deconstructive property of Judeo-Christian orthodoxy is number one. Let me repeat that. Whatever has the most deconstructive, devast- devastating effect over the current Judeo-Christian orthodoxy as number one. At the given time. At the given time. What has over, what, what over the course of the last 1,200 years has had a more devastating impact on Judeo-Christian orthodoxy on this planet than Islam? What? Rainbow Jihad? No, Islam is number one. Islam is? That's why Rainbow Jihad. In the West? See in the back seat. Yeah. See in the back seat. Because the ultimate goal here, these the people leading this are, you know, they may be inherently demonic. Likely they're useful idiots for the spiritual strongholds pulling the strings behind the scenes. But this isn't about uh, this is this isn't about love is love, and this isn't about diversity, and this isn't about racial. It's not about any of those things. It never has been. I mean that that's why if you're if you identify as a person in those groups, and then the minute you start thinking for yourself, like our John Miller here at The Blaze or a Dave Rubin, for example. That, that's why the minute if you start thinking for yourself, they strip you of that identity. You, you, don't, you don't belong to that identity anymore because it was never about being black. It was never about being same-sex attracted. It was about belonging to the cult of spirit of the age progressivism. You are no longer performing your obligation to this cult to help it deconstruct the Judeo-Christian norms of Western civilization. The minute you cease being useful in that quest, then you're of, you're of no use. And that's what you saw play out in the school district in the UK. What, is, what has a more devastating impact? Islam. It's proven that for 1,200 years. It's not 
historically even a debatable point. That's why it sided with the Islamists and told the rainbow jihadists, hey, don't get uppity here. Wait your turn. You're watching that play out right now with Ilian Omar. So they are aware she's killing them. They would not have gone down the road of, of, this, of this statement, of this proclamation. They would, not have, they would not have gone down this road if they didn't know this. I, I believe the Democratic leadership really believed they were going to essentially start setting the stage now for separating themselves from her by issuing this proclamation. But as we talked about yesterday, gentlemen, they're now encircled by the, by the, the monster they created. You're, what's taking place, what's happening to Nancy Pelosi is, uh, and her attempt to say we're not anti-Semites, and they're on their fifth version of this now, mm-hmm. okay? What, what happened to Nancy Pelosi is a, on a larger scale what took place between Dianne Feinstein and those school children last week. Yeah. So they're going to have to knife her quietly. And they'll just do it in a primary or something later on and hope that between now and then she literally doesn't hand the presidency to Donald Trump. Okay. That's what, because they, they aren't going to be able to deal with her in official circles because the, I mean, you have Jim Clyburn today, one of the, one of the originalists in the congressional black caucus. This is a quote. Well, you know, some people who are Jewish, you know, they really personally identify with uh, the Holocaust and she's Somalian and personally identifies with what she went through there. Like it's some kind of, you know, give and take, give and take moral equivalency here. Like she has a justification for her anti-Semitism. Paul Krugman, did you see what he just tweeted out from the New York Times? I did not, no. Uh, He said, and I'm paraphrasing here because I don't have the tweet right in front of me. He said, um, there are three things in life that are certain, death, taxes, and anti-Semitism. But I'll tell you this, there's only one kind of anti-Semitism that bothers me, and it's not the one on the left. Yeah, because here's why that's the case. Um, Identity politics is the substitute for the Holy Spirit in spirit of the age progressivism. What do I mean by that? You know, Jesus refers to the Holy Spirit as, I'll send you a helper. It, it is, it's the indwelling spirit of God. It guides for the believer that has, that has an active relationship with his creator. It's, it's, it's literally like, a, a, it's, it's, well, I'm, I don't want to minimize it. It's more than a filter. It's more than a guide. It's more than your conscience. It's all of those things, but on a cosmic scale. It's that still small voice in the back of your head when you're about to do something you know is wrong that says, Really? I mean, it's, it's, it, it, I, I don't want to be trite, but I'm, I'm, I'm trying to explain something to a wide audience that, and put it in terms that might be, you know, easily accessible. That's what identity politics is to spirit of the age progressivism. It is, it is the ultimate filter that determines their uh, integrity their, their values and their decision-making process. Robin Roberts let you know that earlier this week from Good Morning America, she literally said, how could you expect me as a gay black woman to, to, to ask critical questions of Jesse Smollett as a gay black man? Meaning, my identity didn't, I, because I'm a gay black woman, I could not be expected to be unbiased and professional in this situation. She's literally saying that. Yes. She's literally saying that. She is literally saying, my identity politic 
determined my level of professionalism and integrity in this situation and and could not avoid me being a willing pawn to Jesse Smollett's hoax by providing it credibility. We talked a couple of weeks ago about Martina Navratilova, arguably the greatest female athlete in modern times. And when people whispered about uh, Billie Jean King's sexuality in the 70s, Martina Navratilova paraded it around in the 80s when it wasn't politically correct to do so. She's been an activist for redefining marriage literally all over the world, guys. And she's been one of the trailblazers of this movement. She dared to say... um, it's insanity to have men competing against women in women's sports. It's taking away from the very feminism that I've been standing up for all these decades. They, they harshly came down on her. Uh, I think we missed it. I think back, it was back on March 5th. So two days ago, she apologized. Now, do you think Martina Navratilova is not mentally tough? She's, she was the most intimidating female athletic presence on the earth prior to Serena Williams' emergence. But in the end, Martina Dratilova is telling you same thing that Robin Roberts told you. The identity politic is too strong. I have to honor it. It's my helper. It's in the, in the, in the church of state, in, the, in spirit of the age progressivism, identity politics is the substitute for the Holy Spirit. It's the guide. It's the helper. And that's what the Democrats are running into right now is they thought they were going to be able to get this Ilhan Omar situation out of the way and get back to investigating Trump. But the problem is they keep running into the very identity politic that they created and exploited all these years. So they're going to have to they're going to have to suffer with her quietly, get rid of her in a primary next spring and hope in the interim she literally isn't the face of 27 Trump for president commercials. That's where they're at. Am I wrong? What do you think? Or do you want to? Add to that, Todd. Uh, I don't think you're wrong about what they're trying to accomplish, but I don't think they're going to be able to accomplish it. I think the cat is out of the bag. If, if, well, let me say, if they don't get rid of her now, basically marginalize her so much that we mm-hmm. basically never talk about her mm-hmm. until that election, um, I, I think she's shown that because they birthed this. And we keep learning the lessons that what we thought wasn't possible just a year ago is possible. I, if, if she continues to survive this and is vocal and ne- and never is quiet and is clearly not put in a corner, I, I, I think she's going to stay on for the longest time because this is what progressivism is. And and neither their side nor our side has shown an ability to do anything about it. I, and I want to clarify, she, I agree with the, the notion that criticism of Israeli policy is an anti-Semitism. Of course. Of course. Just like criticism, the fact that I didn't, I didn't think it was good to have more people on food stamps in the population of Spain during the Obama presidency doesn't make me a racist. All right? we, we're not Correct. buying into that. No, no. Claiming that if you are a Jewish member of Congress, you have dual allegiance to the nation of Israel, uh, claiming that um, uh, you're that that essentially the the Jewish money changers have bought off all these politicians to defend their Zionist aims. That's that's what's anti-Semitic. Okay, it's not criticism. Any criticism of Jewish policy, or I'm sorry, Israeli policy, is not anti-Semitism. That's a canard they're trying to float yeah. your way. And to, what you're talking about isn't theory-driven. You just saw the power of their Holy Spirit within that Democratic caucus. It's it screamed. I mean, it was 
Hosanna's. I mean, th- that yeah. was a uh, a moment in there where Nancy Pelosi was hit with their Holy Spirit, the one that she's been preaching forever and ever, and she didn't quite understand the power of it. Yeah, I I have a, a bit different take, and I, I want to push back on the notion that she's just going to stay there as long as she wants to, Todd. I mean, we, we have um, oodles of examples. I mean... Where has Hillary Clinton been, you know, after her foibles the last election? She's dropped off the face of the planet. Haven't heard anything from her. We had a governor who supported infanticide, uh, dressed up in blackface and or as a Klansman. They got rid of him faster than you could shake a stick. And then the lieutenant governor, there were some (laughs) Me Too allegations against him. Where has he been? He got fired as well, or he was forced to resign. Haven't heard a darn thing from him either. So I I don't get where this notion of she can just stick around as long as she wants to is coming from Todd. I just We need to take a step back, a deeper breath, realize that Democrats are the party of reason and science and that they will ultimately make the most rational decision when it comes to who is, who is and is not on their committees and in their caucuses. I just had such a proud papa moment right then. I did. Didn't you? Oh, very much so. Yeah, I just I know I've had to apologize to Mrs. McIntyre several times in the few years Aaron's worked for us, but this is one case where um I I think she owes me, actually. You see what your son just did there? Yeah. I'm a good influence for once. <laughs> yes. I just I, there's probably well that's neither here nor there. Continue. I'm sorry. I, I may I want to make sure we don't get out of here without mentioning the Lou Dobbs thing, because I think that's very important. And I can only imagine what his inbox and the comment sections <laughs> of his videos are for daring to leave the groupthink, the dueling political cult. Okay? Because what you're seeing there with Lou Dobbs is the difference between an ardent supporter and groupthink. Okay, ardent support. And we have seen ardent support from Lou Dobbs. Yes, we have. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, ardent support, maybe even, you know, uh, zealous support is not the same as groupthink. Groupthink is when you decide my own individual interests and my individual value system, my individual integrity are, are no longer as valuable to me as my association with blank. That's a groupthink. And that, that, that's a, what you saw in that Lou Dobbs clip is a voice crying in the wilderness. You know what's funny? When you, you know what your montage really is now that I thought about it? Your, your, what your montage really is, is both sides are literally creating the environment for the other side to win next year. By, by Trump literally siding with Chamber of Commerce Republicans, I've watched Michelle Malkin, uh, our former peer here at The Blaze, has been very critical of this on her Twitter feed. This week, uh, she was critical of it at CPAC last week. I mean, Trump going, citing Trump not building the wall, caving on the shutdown, and then having a mass meeting of let's just import a bunch of cheap labor with Chamber of Commerce Republicans. That is the exact thing he would, that is the read my lips, no new taxes, and oh, hey, here's the largest tax increase. That is exactly what he would need to do, I think, to lose next year. And the Democrats setting the stage for we really are trying to end your way of life. And here's our champion, Ilian Omar, to prove it. That's the exact environment that Trump needs to win next year. Both sides in that montage, Todd, are literally setting the stage for the other side to win in 2020. Which means you were exactly right a couple weeks ago when you reset 
the t-shirt and said I was just ahead. You were a curve. cycle ahead, yes. You, it, it really is whoever's dumbest last loses. That Aaron's montage is the epitome of that. How far afield from his original messaging does Trump have to go for Lou Dobbs to finally say, I, I can't, that's a bridge too far, man. Here, but no further. Pretty far, wouldn't you think? Yeah. I think pretty far. I mean, who's been more supportive than he has? All right, without losing his soul in the process. Um, and, and on the other hand, you have Democrats who are literally like, they started the week off with, we got to dump this broad now, okay? She's crushing us, like killing us. And it's going to end the week with, uh, uh, there, there is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is his messenger. I, I mean, this is, this is literally what each side would have to do to hand the next election to the other. And it's in Aaron's montage in, on literally the same day. And it will we, be again. Yeah. We need deliverance. You see what I did there? Ooh. Yeah. Now, see, now he's getting cocky. <laughs> you know, now he's kind of feeling his oats a little bit. Now he's like, I own this. I got this. You know, he, he, he went four for four yesterday, right? First day up, you know, from, the, from AAA. And now he's like, I'm just going to do this every afternoon, right? Yeah. Hey. Stay in your lane, bro. <laughs> All right. <laughs> We'll come back with more in a moment. Stay tuned. Homeowners, beware. A recent data breach may have exposed 24 million of you to home title fraud. That's a crime that could cost you your home. Because scammers, if you have a mortgage, a refi, or a HELOC through a major bank, uh, they now have the data breach that puts you at risk of losing that equity in your home because they have everything they need to steal your home's title. They can forge your signature as the seller, refile your home under a new name, take out loans on your home, and then they'll stick you with the payments. And you won't know until the payment notices or maybe even the eviction orders show up. Uh, And your bank won't protect you from this, and neither will identity theft protection, which you should have if you don't. Here's why. Because even if they can't steal your identity, they now have some um, identity verifiable information that you use to do business online, like a checking account number or a middle initial maiden name. And they go to the county assessor recorder site uh, where your home's title is kept online, verify their you, forge a signature. And now uh, they have access to the most valuable investment pretty much any American will ever have, and, and that's their own home. Don't let this happen to you, especially when for just pennies a day, it won't courtesy of our friends at Home Title Lock. And you can check now to see if you're already a victim. Go to HomeTitleLock.com, register for a free title scan and report to see how safe and secure is your home's title. That's normally a $100 value, but it's for free today for our family on the blaze at HomeTitleLock.com, HomeTitleLock.com. I want to add one last quick thing to the conversation about anti-Semitism in the Democratic Party. This is an undeniable truth of history. All right. Whenever a human institution, any any human endeavor, what I mean by that, a a nation, an institution, an association, um, an enterprise, whenever a human endeavor is in rebellion to God and or has rejected God, it will always, always, always is a tough word, but I'm going to use it here. It will always embrace anti-Semitism every single time. Undeniable truth of history. And if you can say one thing about the modern Democratic Party, 
from booing God at its convention in 2012 to now having U.S. senators that say, if you worship the one true God, you can't serve in government in 2019. If they, we can say one thing about the modern Democratic Party, that it is somewhere between in rebellion to God uh, to rejection thereof. So it will increasingly embrace anti-Semitism as long as that remains the case, because that happens to every human institution throughout our history that is in a similar state. Let's get to three questions. We all have questions. Who am I? Why am I here? Where am I going? Who am I? A search and a question of identity. Why am I here? A question of meaning and purpose. Where am I going? Question of destiny. Some better than others. What sort of morality or proto-morality would you expect to find in a chimpanzee troop? Injecting some levity into the demise of Western civilization. It's three questions on The Steve Day Show. Yes, because all work and no play makes Steve, Todd, and Aaron dull boys. And you know when that happens, eventually we're going to find ourselves running around in a frozen maze and freeze to death. Or something like that. All right, question number Danny! one. Yes. Danny boy! <laughs> Red uh, rum. Red yeah. rum. Yeah, yeah. Uh, question number one. What's the most uh, overrated and underrated sporting event? Uh, overrated. Uh, the World Cup, anything involving soccer. Um, and I think that's I was, a that, self-evident that's truth. That's my underrated. That's that's a self, and, and that's why you're not special. And... <laughs> You're not the American dream. You are. <laughs> I, and, I was, you're here. You're here because you are a traitor. And everything I've learned in life, I learned from the Bible, church history, and the Godfather movies. And Michael Corleone taught me: you keep your friends close, and your enemies closer. So I, I, I want to keep an eye on the leisure wing of the coming one-world government conspiracy, otherwise known as soccer. So you, you see, you were brought here under the guise that. Um, you know, uh, I would kind of, you, you'd kind of work as, as, as an advisor slash accountability, you know, mentor, peer in my age group. Uh, you could, you know, represent a viewpoint. We have a, you know, conservative media has a mass Catholic audience and you could represent that, that those, those were all, um, those weren't, those were the right reasons, but they weren't the real reason. The real reason that you were brought here. Is because I am keeping an eye on the soccer invasion through you. That's why you're here. Fair enough. So overrated is any event involving soccer, starting with the World Cup. That is, we hold these truths to be self-evident, kind of self-evident. Underrated, Game 7 of a Stanley Cup playoff series in overtime. I think think it might be the best... The best thing in in, um, North American team professional sports where it can flip literally an entire season at any time can end on any play. And it could be random. It could be something you don't see coming or it can be the dreaded thing you do see coming. But and it's your favorite team, and it, it's like developing in slow motion before you, and you're not empowered to step through the screen and make it stop, right? Uh, there's absolutely, in my view, I think there's nothing like it. Most Americans miss out because hockey doesn't do a great job of marketing itself and the season's too long. Um, and as they say in hockey, let's do that hockey, right? But I, I'm telling you, 
Game seven of a Stanley Cup playoff series in overtime is the most underrated sporting event in my view. That's a good one. It is. Well, I will stick with soccer as underrated. I, I will not. I will, I will not accept your virtue signaling on hockey. Go Thirty-two teams representing well, the that best I'm, ideals I'm, will embark once more. I'm employed for that very reason, so I'm going to ham it up, don't you think? Yeah. Here's a quick breakdown for those of you plebeians who don't enjoy a blast from the, the past. Game. As stated, 32 teams representing 32 countries will gather in Russia for the World Cup. The United States is being left out as punishment for their brutish and uncivilized ways. Those 32 teams are broken up into eight groups of... That's our version of soccer. Right you should have kept that going. No. Advance to the knockout round, which is a win Hashtag or go man. home match. The favorites from each group are as follows. Uruguay, Spain, France, Argentina, Perfect. Brazil, Germany, Belgium, and Colombia. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, gosh. That's, I forgot how great that was. Women's World Cup this summer. Oh. We're not done yet, baby. Uh, overrated, it's got to be the NBA. I mean, this it's, I, I do, I don't want to be that guy who does not appreciate the awesomeness of the athletic uh, capabilities of these guys. But the, I mean, when Steve talks about boys who can shave, that league is filled with boys who can shave. And this, I mean, and I grew up, not a, I'm not a, NBA basketball guy, but you know, Michael Jordan and those, those were, that was appointment television for, that was Americana. These days, it's increasingly a niche sport in many respects, I think. Good time to let you know this uh, last answer by Todd brought to you by Get Off My Lawn. <laughs> yes. Are you a, uh, are although you I also, largely agree with your yeah. thoughts. On, on the soccer thing, though, Todd is full-on communist. I just want, Yeah, that's just not even debatable. I would like the yeah. record to stipulate. Um, most overrated. So overrated basically means everybody thinks it's better than it actually is. Now, this year, it's, it's definitely overrated. The past three or four years, not so much. But the history of the Super Bowl, I'm sorry. I mean, the pageantry is awesome. But the game itself, the actual game itself. There's been itself, a lot of blowouts, yeah. It's, it's a little bit overrated, I'm still going to watch every mm-hmm. single year, no matter what. Most underrated. I need to get my man card because I think it's the Olympics. I like the Olympics. I love the Olympics. Uh, when they, when you know, when NBC Lester Holt is not over there fawning over the beautiful buildings in North Korea, um, the Olympics are fun to watch. <laughs> They're had colorful. I, Look at all the different yeah. colors. Had yeah. I not had to dig in on soccer. I would have absolutely gone with the Olympics, and that would have offended you as well. So that would yeah, because here's I don't mind the Olympics. I just I'm, I'm not they're not as interesting to me as they were when it was us versus the Soviets, and there was a real rivalry there, you know. But I don't have a problem with them. Um, yeah, I, I to me, you know, Glenn goes to work every morning and allows and and puts up with Stu's vegetarianism, and that's kind of what you and soccer are on this show. We just have agreed. You you bring enough other things to the table, we will just stomach it. Should we talk about uh, instant replay in sports? No, no. Okay, uh, but definitely before we talk about soccer, some more. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Question number two: What's the biggest theater letdown you've ever had? You're going into the theater, going to watch a movie or a sequel or something, really anticipating what Last you're Jedi. about to see. Last Jedi. Last Jedi. I, and I uh, went with Steve. It's the only time. No, where's one other time you and I went to? Uh, a movie, um, Wolverine. The, no, the um, the Logan movie. Logan movie. Yeah. yeah, I went to that one, and I could I could not believe it because we, you know, you're 
you're post Star Wars, you're walking out. He had Noah, and I didn't want to say anything in front of Noah. Um, and we're in the parking lot, and so and he asked me first, "What do you think?" I just, that, that was dreadful, and he's like, "I I really liked it." I was like, "Hmm." This is not how I thought that was going to go. <laughs> and so here we are. Uh, I love The Last Jedi. I think it's a great movie. I just think it's a terrible sequel to The Force Awakens. Okay. But I, I think it's phenomenal. I think it's a great movie. Um, the two, uh, there's there's a tie uh, for this one. Uh, Star Trek Generations. I mean, how do you not crush Kirk and Picard in the same movie? And how do you make the villain a ribbon that takes you to Buddhist nirvana? Come on, that's Trekkie. Anchored by Whoopi Goldberg. That's peak Trekkie, and that's the, yes. the double-mindedness which they've is always why, had. That's right, which is why the next movie they had to come back with, The Borg. And kill some things. And they, and they, did, the, the, they did the next generation version of Wrath of Khan. Yes. And that was, the, that was the by far the biggest hit movie that the, the next generation crew ever had. Okay, so uh, I walked out of Star Trek Generations. Uh, I finna kill someone after that movie. And then I think there might be a dead body somewhere outside the Century Theater by Jordan Creek Mall, yet undiscovered, following my viewing of Justice League. Um, in fact, there, there may be a collection of them. And I, I want to go ahead and say I kind of pulled a Dexter and I just, I just went after people that looked like they needed killing, you know, like they were just really bad people. But I, I, I can't say that for sure uh, but uh justice league um I, i've it, one of the reasons i wear i've been wearing long sleeves more often is to cover up what i did to myself uh i i started scarring myself like victor zaz the batman serial killer i that movie you have to understand, man, I used to get up at 7 a.m on a saturday in my justice league underoos to watch Challenge of the Super Friends when I was five years old. Chubby little Stevie sitting in there in front of the console TV. I've wanted this my whole life. Finally, they've, the, 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 you know, they're all coming together and, and it was clear that they just made a McMovie. They mailed it in. Uh, they ruined the villain. Uh, they, you know, I, I just, I can't. And you were so excited after the trailer when the Steppenwolf was talking about the no more Mandalorians or whatever. Yeah, Not Mandalorians. No, uh, me, um, green, no more lanterns. No more lanterns. Yes. And, uh, no, but Kryptonians, of and, course. Yeah. yeah, and you mentioned lanterns as well. Yeah. And I just... Uh, yeah. It's, it's honestly one of the most disappointing moments of my entire life, and I'm not underselling it. I mean, I, I, I was crushed, and I am, I am still angry. I am still... I am still angry. That's understandable. There is, there's, I was disappointed by The Last Jedi, but there is an issue or an instance that absolutely scarred me. I have no doubt about this. It happened when I was like seven or eight. I can't remember if it was 102 or 103 Dalmatians, but I was invited by another homeschooling family and their two sons, who were my best friends at the time, to go to 102 Dalmatians in little old Lamoni, Iowa, at the theater. Would never go to the theater. Never go to the theater. So this was because you're homeschooled. Because we don't get out much. Because right. we don't get out much. And this was like a week of anticipation. Go, we're to go to the theater together. This, this is, is so awesome. The saddest in Lamoni. Lamoni. We're going to the Lamoni Theater. Lamoni, yeah, Lamoni, uh, the big city. The 100. The <laughs> 102 or 103 Dalmatians. And we get there, and I think I think they even got us popcorn, which was just like. Mind blowing that we even no butter, pop. of course. There's, there's, it's not natural. <laughs> yeah, yes, it's not. Um, 
And it was like 10 minutes into the movie and the parent <laughs> of these other two guys was like, yeah, this isn't appropriate. We got up and left. <laughs> 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 that you trolling us no this is that another... really happened one of my buddies we were really sensitive homeschool kids was like in tears on the way home <laughs> <laughs> so anyway this is a good time to let you know don't don't let that rated r stop yeah. you from seeing unplanned Oh, okay. Do you remember the scene? That, my girls were a, just watching it. What was the scene? That's that a broken? Babylon B story I, right there. <laughs> it's going to happen for real. Yeah. I can't even remember. I really can't, but I know it was either 102 or 103 Dalmatians. I'm going to tell my eight-year-old daughter that when I get home and see how she laughs hysterically. Yeah. Uh, final question. What's the most amo- annoying pet peeve you have? Most annoying to other people? Before we answer... Aaron's final question brought to you by our friends at uh, Rid You Zone. You know, this is the time of year now that uh, most of us fail at our New Year's resolutions. And our number one New Year's resolution nowadays is to get healthier, to lose weight. I have fought the battle of the bulge myself for years. I know how difficult it can be uh, to put all that weight on is one thing. Taking it off is even harder. Keeping it off uh, is, is, is an ordeal unto itself. And, and one of the things that makes it harder as we get older is our metabolisms slow down. And that's where Riduzone comes in. It's, it's not a stimulant. This is a natural ingredient called OEA uh, that you find in olive oil. Our bodies produce it as well. Your body produces it. Even, even some of our pets produce this. The problem is uh, in order to, uh, to consume this, uh, in, in a form of olive oil, you'd have to drink like a half a bottle of it to get the, the amount that you need to, uh, to uh, inspire your metabolism to kick back in. You'll get it with just one capsule, though, of Riduzone from um, our, our friends over there. And here's how you can get it right now as well. 30% off a three-month supply. If you go to Riduzone.com and use my name as a promo code, promo code Steve. Riduzone, R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E, Riduzone.com. Promo code Steve for 30% off. All right. And restart that New Year's resolution. Get that resolve back going again. So what is what would what, what what now the question, the final question is what do other people would yep, say is, is my yeah. most annoying? Yes. Um that you like enforce and it annoys other people. I would say my family would probably go with um, um cleanliness and hygiene. I'm, that might, I mean, yeah. when, when, the, when the girls were little and they used to watch Full House reruns, they would literally call me Danny Tanner, all right? <laughs> so it, it would probably be, you know, and I'm the guy that if we're going to have company, we got to get up, clean everything up. And we don't really have that much dirt around anyway, but I'm just, that, I would say that's probably, for the people that know me, the pet peeve they hate about me the most, I would guess. Um, my tone. <laughs> Get that a lot. You mean like that? You know, but it, I never change it because it's it's not what you say; it's how you say it. Okay, and then if I change it, because I'll just keep saying it, and that will no. Oh, it turns out it was that you actually believe that, so I keep the tone. Yeah. So my roommate has an Australian Shepherd. She's still a, a puppy, and I'm not even I'm, I'm not at your house that often, Steve. But even being a, you know being around, I can tell you, you you're a more you know, you're more hyper uh, aware about cleanliness mm-hmm. and organization even than I am. Mm-hmm. 
I think I drive him nuts, though, with how much I try to clean up the dog hair. I mean, I let the dog come sit on my lap, and it's like I turn into her because there's so much dog hair on the uh, on the uh, that she sheds. And so I've got the little robot running all the time. I give her baths all the time because I hate the way she smells. I would say that's probably the most what, annoying thing. What does the dude code say about a manly obsession with cleanliness? I don't think it has anything to say, provided it's, uh, well, let me rephrase that. I hope it doesn't have anything to say. <laughs> I want you to know, man, I, I, I can't You've got change. You've hyper, hypoallergenic dog. I, right? I do. I can't change the oil in my car, but I had to teach my wife how to do the laundry and run a dishwasher. That's a true story. She didn't do any of that stuff growing up. I was kind of a mama's boy, though, so I, I, th- there's not too many things I can do in an elite level. Clean. You're raised by Vicky Dace. You can clean. I'm the freaking Michael Jordan of cleaning. Do I have to take the shoes off when I come over to your house? Depending on this time of year, no. Because the, the salt's, uh, you know, you're not getting bit the rest of the year. Yes. Hour two is next. Stay tuned. And we're back with hour two of the Steve Day Show live and on demand here on The Blaze. 888-933-93 is the number. You can let us know what you think about what we think via the SteveDace.com inbox. Steve at SteveDace.com is how you can email the program. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. For those of you listening today via Blaze Radio or on the podcast, last name is spelled D-E-A-C-E. Uh, have you noticed that even now when the mobile phone carriers are competing with each other, they're letting you in on a little truth, and, and that is that they virtually all have the exact same coverage. In fact, one of the one of the major competitors uh, is now literally putting in their ads. Our coverage network is like only one percent different than our number one uh, rival, and we're cheaper, right? And so, you know, there's only a few of these, and that's because it's so expensive uh, to put up your own towers. Um, so, what's really the difference? I mean, if you live in certain places where you might live, this network might be a little bit better than others. But across the country, they largely have a lot of the same exact coverage. The difference would be what they do with your money when you give it to them. So if you want to support uh, a mobile phone uh, company that supports the values and issues and causes that you're interested in and you support uh, as a conservative with your money, check out Patriot Mobile. Uh, The CEO of Patriot Mobile is a former combat veteran uh, who served in both Iraq wars and Afghanistan. And he and the founders of Patriot Mobile said, hey, you know, those on the other side of the political aisle often use uh, their resources and their profits to support causes they believe in. Why don't we here do the same? If you want to check out more about Patriot Mobile, if you mention Blaze, when you go to patriotmobile.com slash Blaze, you can get free activation on up to two lines, patriotmobile.com slash Blaze for free activation up to two lines, or you can just give them a call, 1-800-A-PATRIOT. Make sure you put the uh there, okay? 1-800-A-PATRIOT is the number, or patriotmobile.com slash blaze for free activation on up to two lines. So we have been looking forward to this for a while. Uh, Ben Bruns is uh, someone I used to cover, uh, and I realized that was 20 years ago. (laughs) And... (laughs) 
uh, I, there he more, is more right there. That. We more actually went that. back. We actually went into the photo archives and found uh, an, an old action shot there uh, back in the day uh, when Ben was uh, uh, one of Iowa State's. I, I think you were a captain on the 2000 team, weren't you a captain? I, I wasn't. You but, weren't. Okay. Um, All right. Uh, certainly, uh, we had a great season and, and uh, um, fun to be part of. And that team uh, was the first Iowa State football team to ever win a bowl game, right? Yeah. Ever win one. Uh, the school hadn't been to a bowl game since, what, like 78? That's right. Yeah. When Earl Bruce, the old Ohio State coach, was was on campus. Uh, you guys finished the year it ranked in the top 25. That Iowa State had not done that in, in a long, long, since, you know, way before Aaron was born. So you were a breakthrough player on that team. That's uh, That's been there with the uh, what's called the Cyhawk Trophy. They've, they've since upgraded it. Uh, I don't, in terms I don't of think it's, it's better. I, don't, I agree with you. I actually thought the quirkiness <laughs> of it what kind of added to its, yeah. um, you know, added to the mystique a little bit, right. you know, because uh, now High V came in and they, th- th- it's really pretty now. It's great, but it, but it doesn't kind of have the same. Because when you think football trophies, you know, in the, on the college realm, right? You know, the pros you have the sleek Vince Lombardi trophy, but on the college realm, you're thinking Oaken buckets and and Floyd or Rosedale pigs and right. and you know uh, brown jugs. And High V comes in like we're going to put this really pretty like sculpture together. Like, well, it's really pretty, but it doesn't kind of look like a college football <laughs> trophy. Uh, but uh, Ben was a great player at Iowa State. That's how I first encountered him was covering him on on those teams at the beginning of my sports media career. Uh, then we end up uh, covering uh, Iowa State together. You're the sideline reporter, have been for the Cyclone Radio Network for how long now? Uh, since 02. So a long time. Yeah. All right. So here's why we brought Ben in, because we have we have tried numerous times over the years, numerous times, to find people that don't agree with most of what we think to come and talk to us. One of the this is one of the reasons why I used to go and do uh, when a lot of my peers in national conservative media would not I would go do a, a lot of appearances on an MSNBC or a CNN uh, things of that nature and I don't do them as much anymore because I I've, frankly it, it seems like most of the panels are am I a racist or am I really a racist and I just I don't have time for that you know if you want to have a serious dialogue with me then I kind of don't care what names you call me if we're actually talking about something serious but if it's just you know hey that bait ain't gonna click itself then I'm I'm not too interested in that uh, but one thing I know about Ben is is he's really smart so he won't do that plus I know he will not be intimidated about coming in here, um, given uh, what he used to do in a past life when he used to step on the neck of of little weasels like me, right? So what I wanted to do, Ben, and what I thought, would, and I told the audience this is how we were going to do this. I thought it, this would be the most fun way. You bet. Um, when I I love to leave leave Q and A time when I go speak at places around the country because that way I know, and if it was up to me, I would just do the whole thing Q and A. And the reason why is that way I know I'm addressing what the audience cares about rather than I come, out, come in with my message and it may bore you to tears. Who knows? So I thought you're, you're well-versed in interviewing people in, in controversial situations. So I'm going to turn the comm over to you. And I told you, you could literally, and I mean, there, and I, I've stressed this in the email that I not talk. No topic. Nothing is off limits. You may not like my answers. That's you fair. may ask me something I can't answer, you know, like um, if it's a corporate relationship or something. And if you do, I'll say so. Okay. But other than that, anything you want to ask and discuss, the floor is yours. Um, and I hope our audience enjoys listening and, and watching you and I have a back and forth here for the rest of the show. So the floor is yours, man. Yeah, thanks. 
Well, I really appreciate you having me on. Uh, you know, the idea of, uh, I feel a little bit like Daniel coming to the lion's den uh, today, <laughs> but, uh, you know, it's, uh, I think there's far more commonality in Americans and how we uh, view things um, than, than media allows us to believe these mm-hmm. days. Mm-hmm. And, that that's on both sides of the aisle and, and, uh, and everything in between. And I fall in between. Um, and so, you know, you and I had had a fabulous conversation, uh, about a year ago now, uh, mm-hmm. had sat down and had breakfast. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've just always appreciated your perspective on things and, uh, it's a tumultuous time in our country. And so, uh, at the end of that conversation, to me, the most fascinating part came out and I, that's where I want to pick up and, and start off here. Um, if you'll remember, we, we sort of got down to, after talking about a number of issues, we got down to, uh, you know, are, are people inherently good or bad? Mm-hmm. And, and we sort of had a difference of opinion about that. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell, tell me uh, how you see, are people good or bad? Well, um, that breakfast that you mentioned, I don't know that I told you this since we had it. Uh, I, I was going through that year because I think it was around 20, it was in 2017, right? Yep, Christmas yep, 2017. Yep. I, that year for me, I, I had your classic midlife crisis, man. I did. I, and, and a lot of it was professional. You know, I'm, I, I got into this environment, to this business. And my goal was to, um, was to, that's why I would go on opposition shows. I, my goal was to, to take what I believe and try to win arguments with it to convince people that don't agree with me of it. And what I, what ended up happening in this last, in that last cycle is there was so much horse bleep, so much horse pucky that on my way to trying to win an argument uh, with, with, with uh, progressivism, I found myself having, having to battle horse bleep uh, that was just peddled to me of the most tribalistic variety. And I was really down and, you know, and is, 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 and if, if this is really my career is, will I hate Donald Trump even when I think he's right? And will I love Donald Trump even when I believe he's wrong? I, th- I'm going to do something else with my life, you know? Sure. And, and, I, and I was just getting ready to start my annual Christmas vacation when you and I had that breakfast. And yeah. I walk in and you and I hadn't seen this other in several years. Yeah. And I mean, my wife will tell you, I was in a self-pity I was, dude, I was freaking King Kong of self-pity during that time. I mean, I was, I was, I was in the fast lane of drain circling. All right. These guys were around me. They can probably tell you some of that. All right. Like, what's my, what what is my, what's my point of doing this? You know, and you, I walk in and you and I are having, getting ready to have the breakfast. We haven't seen each other in a while. I walk in and these are your first words to me. You said, uh, um, Wow, man, it's been a while. I've been following your career, and it looks like it's really blown up. And uh, I can see you've lost a ton of weight. I, I've, I've been seeing on your on your Twitter, your oldest daughter. You know, she was she got a major role in Willy Wonka down at the Playhouse, and and you know your son's playing football. And then you throw in, and did I read this right? Your wife's doing like some kind of like sex therapy. There's got to be some fringe residual benefits for that, right? <laughs> Hashtag winning. <laughs> yeah. And the minute you said that to me, I literally felt like uh, the Holy Spirit had used you to just, bra- with, with a pair of brass knuckles, just hit me in the gut so hard to say, dude, why are you such a whiny little bleep? 
And I don't know if you remember that, but I had this like nervous giggle when you said that. Yeah. And it's the nervous giggle guys get when they've been like called out and 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 they and they don't know what to say. Like when they've been called, like I'm sure you went into this if if your coach your position coach called you in and you just completely blew an assignment. And you're like, yeah, yeah. When, when, you, when you're sitting there in the sure. film room and it's everybody knows it's true, right? There's nothing to hide. Yeah. And that's kind of how I felt, you know. And that breakfast was like a line in the sand for me on a, on an emotional level to suck it up, uh, you know, snowflake and, uh, your life, you know, you, you, you don't, you need to have first world problems. You have no world problems, you know, move on. So I've, I've been meaning to say that to you. So I cool. wanted to reference that. Yeah, cool. Um, but the question you asked me, I think is, I think it's actually the most important question in the culture because I think all of, all of the, well, not all, but most of the policy disagreements we're going to have, most of the things we're going we're gonna to ask government to and not to do are going to stem from this question, okay? Right. So I, I believe human beings are made in the image of God. I do not believe human nature is basically good. I think human nature is basically bad. And it's because human beings in our nature desire to sin, desire to do what is bad. And I'll give you a couple of examples of why I think that way. Other, and I won't, I won't even just, and I could, but I won't even, you know, give the, the biblical hermeneutic. Um, you know, um, none would choose him. All have, all have gone astray. All have disobeyed God. All right. I'll make it much more um, uh, contemporary and applicable than something like okay. that. Have you ever watched a parent teach their child to be selfish? Like, you ever, you ever seen a parent say to their child, all right, Timothy, say it with me now. Ready? Mine. Mine. That's never happened. Right. All right? You've never had to, hey, hey, tell your siblings, ready, ready, Julie, all right, go to your sister and say, no, no. You can do it. Say no. Never had to do that. You don't have to teach. They're adorable. I've had three of them myself. They're cute. You don't have to teach them to be bad. You don't have, despite all of, all of that cuteness that reeks off of them, you don't have to teach them to be selfish. You don't have to teach them to be domineering. All right. And so the nature of, I think human, I think now I think because we have the image of God, we can still do great things and accomplish great things. Okay. But the, but we cannot perfect ourselves. Sure. We cannot cure ourselves because what is in our hearts requires an external healer. And I think that's where Jesus Christ comes in. So, um, I, you know, as I, as I think about that, uh, I think about the fact, right, we're, we're fundamentally flawed, right? Mm-hmm. But, but I generally believe deep down that uh, people know the difference between right and wrong. Mm-hmm. And unless you're a sociopath, you, you choose right over wrong. And, and so... Um, you know, that's, that's a twist to what you just talked about. And I think we come at it from the same basic point of agreement, but, um, do people know the difference between right and wrong and why, and how do you explain if people, if humanity, uh, is inherently bad, human nature, human nature, human, human nature is inherently bad. So, uh, okay. medulla oblongata, yeah. uh, our brains to, are busted to, to, borrow, to yeah. borrow a favorite uh, quote of mine. Yeah. Um, you know, why, why, um, why then do people come to uh, the aid of total strangers in moments of heroics mm-hmm. uh, or even make entire careers out of doing that um, every single day? I would, I would counter that question with why don't they always do that? 
If they know that that is good and that is right, and if human nature is basically good, then why don't they do that all the time? Why don't they? So we, we've already discussed that no parents ever had to teach a child to be selfish, right? Sure. Have you, has, name a parent that hasn't had to teach their child to be selfless. Every parent has, right? Of, of course. Okay. Biology, right? Yeah. yeah. Your, your brain is designed to protect you as a youth and as a senior. Yes. Uh, and and right? the development of it. Um, and in the middle, you, you get the chance for some altruism. Sure. That's a, there, I think that's, that is a biological answer. I think there's a spiritual answer to that yep. as well. Yep. Uh, that, that, that even trumps that biology at times. But I think that the que- your, your premise actually, or your question actually, I think asserts my premise in that why don't people do that all the time? How come the same people that do those altruistic acts, I put myself among them? You know, I mean, I've, I will go home and lose my temper with my wife. I will go home and lose my temper with my child. I will I'll lose my temper with 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 my with my employees here. Why? Why will I do that? Do I, yeah, exactly. Do I know that that it that it is wrong? Sure. Yeah, sure I know that it is wrong. So, I agree with you that human beings uh, if it provided there's not a um a, a mental illness or a mental breakdown or a sociopathy like you described, um or there's a a, a you know, a learning disability you know, but fully sentient developed human beings know what is right from wrong. Right. The reason we know right from wrong is because we're made in the image of God who determines what right from wrong is. All right. The problem is we don't always want to do what is right or we want what we want, what we want to be what is right. Sure. Whether it's right or wrong you, you or not. You make the choice to be selfish. Yes. Right? Yeah. And has, the, the question is, changed? why do we do that? Has that changed in society? Are we a more selfish society now than we were uh, when you were a kid? Tell me, give me an example of, of what you view as selfish to answer that. Oh, uh, wow. Well, well, I mean, tell me what makes you think we're a selfish society so I can get an idea of where you're coming from. Um, so uh, I, I think it's the most basic thing. Um, I, I, and, and I don't want to get into tax policy because that's the obvious one that everybody comes to. Mm-hmm. Um, but to the point of do we not do a, as good of a job policing ourselves around – um, selflessness mm-hmm. than we did 30 years ago. I think in some respects we do. And then I think in some respects we don't. Meaning that I, I think, I think, see, I, I'm not, I, there's, I agree with small e evolution, for example. Sure. Okay. So I believe in a small e enlightenment. Okay. okay. I mean, we're clearly more enlightened than we were two, three hundred years ago. We know more about the ways of the world and the universe and the cosmos than we did two, three hundred years ago, yep. right? Yep. We know more about human physiology than we even did fifty years ago. We didn't map the human genome until nineteen ninety three or whatever, right? So, yep. so there's been there is a micro evolution, a micro enlightenment. Okay, and and that information makes us more uh, willing to do things like, you know, now that I'm more fully aware of how bad smoking is, okay, I won't do this in your home. I won't ask to do this on a plane okay. or, I, or I may do a jewel or a vape in order because I, I'm enlightened to understanding to the understanding of what the consequences are of this, of my choices are, and I don't want to impose those on you, yeah. right? Yeah. But then I think there's other ways where, where we, we, we now will, I look at the text chains and our kids are are homeschooled, you know. They're the they're the, you know they're allegedly sheltered homeschool kids. And I'll, I'll look at the I'll look at the text chains that they will have with their friends. Yeah. 
And they will say things in these, those text chains. Ben, if we said this stuff to one another, to our faces, someone was going home with a broken nose and a black eye. Yeah. I can't believe the things that they will say. You know, we, we had a, there's been a recent spate of, of athletes, um, uh, Dante DiVincenzo at Villanova, uh, the night that he won uh, M- MOP of the Final Four, and he's posting just these vile gangster rap lyrics with littered with racism on Instagram when he was, you know, a few years ago. And we've seen this with, you know, the Milwaukee Brewers pitcher and things of that nature. Uh, why they're not, you're, we're really going to make the argument that they're less racially enlightened than Americans were 30 or 40 years ago? Yeah. So, why then, when they're, we're the most racially enlightened we've ever been as a people, yeah. are they then using that using a tool like social media to communicate such vile activity? And so I think we can we 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 can make make the human condition better, but we cannot make it good. And better and good are not always the same thing. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a uh, fundamental. Um, uh, difference in point of view. I mean, I, I inherently believe that people will come to the aid of others and, and we will choose to do the right thing um, more often than not. But so, so if you're wondering why the progressives out there are, uh, you know, these seemingly uh, lost hopeful souls, it comes down to that fundamental issue uh, that um, it, everything you just said makes sense, but it, we're puzzled by the fact mm-hmm. that uh why would that person do that? It it doesn't make sense because you have and, to account and, for human sin. Sure, and, that, and, that's 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 the missing ingredient here. The missing ingredient here, the the chasm between between the view you you bring in here and the view I come to the table with, is that ultimately human sin limits our our capacity to be to 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 become the people you desire us to be, and then and so. And, and what I've often found with, with when, when I have this conversation with someone with a progressive view is that they're uncomfortable going there because it then it, it begs the question, what then is the cure? I mean, we have, we have spent more on education than any society on planet Earth, okay? Uh, in the history, maybe in the history of all human societies combined. And, and yet we're still tackling um, bullying, racism, sexism, misogyny, uh, hashtag me too on college campuses. Um, I mean, how much more enlightened and progressive, how much, how much more do they, can they teach before folks are finally like, you know, I probably, you know, I, my, I should maybe listen to my women's studies professor and not, uh, you know, slip, uh, uh you know, Rahipnol in, in my co-ed uh, neighbor on the, here on the dorm floors drink. Sure. What, what, what there, but why there, there's a missing link here. And the missing link is human sin. And that ultimately, if people want to do what is bad, no amount of education is going to deter them from that. And, and, and that's, this is, and this is why Jesus says we have to be born again. We, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a metaphor for, we literally have to put the old system we were born into, which is, I want what is mine. 
and I want what is yours. <laughs> sure. Okay. And and when you bring up the the altruism, when are we often the most altruistic? Like here in Iowa, uh, twenty five years ago, we had some of the worst flooding in North American history, for example. Sure. Um, the, the 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 links of heroism that first responders engaged in at nine eleven, as another example. Sure. Okay. In other words, when we are confronted with an external stimuli or mechanism. That reminds us there are forces at work in this world greater than ourselves. That is when we usually are the most prone to automatically respond altruistically and set our selfish nation, nature aside. That, that is a further reinforcement of my point of view, which is when we acknowledge there's something bigger and greater than us, we are the most willing to put us aside for the other. Sure. And this is another reason why, you know, because God still demands we treat each other this way without that external stimuli. Right. I don't, uh, God still demands I to love my neighbor as I love myself, even when there's not a tragedy. Okay. Yeah. And so what is it that would, that would prompt me? What is it that would remind me and then hold me accountable to that? And that is where my new nature comes in, that this is the new identity that Christ gives me that reminds me my life is not my own. I was, I was bought and sold at a high price, and that high price is the price that Christ paid at the cross. So I had a great conversation uh, with a uh, uh, member of the Latter-day Saints. We were on a flight um, back from L.A. to Phoenix, where mm-hmm. he lived. And uh, he he uh, he and I were chatting about a, numerous uh, topics, including um, politics and religion. And you know, his faith was on uh, display in, in uh, every moment of that conversation. Um, he he, uh, you know, uh, was actively uh, witnessing uh, to me. And uh, so, as the conversation went along. Um, I asked him the question, okay, so everything that we're talking about, we, we agree on. Can mm-hmm. you help me understand uh, how, how you are so laissez-faire about politics? So his response was that, um, that God gave, uh, gave the earth away to Satan. And politics is inherently a man-made creation. Mm-hmm. And so for that reason, uh, he doesn't even bother with it. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you see that? And, and you know, given the nature of this, uh, this show, um, are we all just spinning our wheels? Or uh, does politics play a role in uh, humanity and, and uh, religion and uh, et cetera? One of the hardest things to grasp, I think, about the Christian worldview and I don't know that you can fully understand it and appreciate it unless it, that worldview indwells you. And, and it's one of the hardest things believers have struggled with. And it's one of the reasons why you have um, Christian reform denominations who would call themselves culture warriors. And they, and they think that, that the, the, the job of the church is essentially culture part of Jesus's commandment to you know disciple the nations is a, a form of cultural terraforming basically sure you have the you have a Catholic view like Todd would bring to the table which would be more of an Augustinian view of two kingdoms you know that are like magnets vying for the attention of humankind the city of man and the city of God and they just kind of continue this 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 vying until Christ returns to basically settle accounts you have um 
you mentioned the view of the LDS uh, member that you were on a uh, that you're on a flight with. That that view has been prevalent in what's called uh, dispensational Protestant theology uh, in the past, and it's it's one of the reasons why before Roe versus Wade, a lot of Protestant Christians were not politically involved. They were kind of just waiting for Jesus to return, and it's it's why it, it, Protestantism gave birth to a movement called Anabaptist, and this is where Mennonites and Amish people come from, and and they essentially believe there's no way to to engage the culture without getting some of its rot gun on you. And so, you know, hit the eject and sure. build modern day monasteries and yeah. wait for the Lord to return, right? Yeah. And, and, and it's because there's a paradoxical tension inherent in Christianity in that Jesus says in Revelation 3, I am the ruler of God's kingdom, okay? But that rule is not yet fulfilled either, okay? Right. Um, meaning that, you know, when when my son is when Noah finishes the biological transition that turns him into a man, all right, um, and and he biologically, physiologically has everything it takes to assert manhood, but is he really yet a man? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So he is a man. But is he fully realized what really manhood requires? You know, yeah. the sacrifice, the willingness to protect the innocent, to provide for those under your charge. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Sure. And so there's a paradoxical tension within Christianity that Christians have often struggled with, which is, are we here to vacate the premises? And often it's presented in a false choice. Are we here to either vacate the premises because we represent a new kingdom? Or are we here to terraform the earth in the name of Jesus Christ? All right. And so where we now become so fixated on cultural hegemony and dominion that we forget that ultimately the number one reason people make wrong choices is they don't know the Lord and we forget, we forsake evangelism. And so then, well, let's not forsake evangelism. So let's just make it only about evangelism and let the world go to hell in a handbasket. All right. And, and rack up as many souls as we can. The, the paradoxical tension of Christianity is often an and or is placed where there should be, uh, or an and is often placed where there should be an or, and an or is often placed where there should be an and. And if you can, if you can, you know, we are placed in a free society. God gave us a vote. St. Paul is, is in, in, in the closest thing to a free society as a Roman citizen in the first century. Right. He has certain habeas corpus rights. He even calls upon them when he's unfairly charged. So he doesn't, he doesn't forsake his citizenship as a Roman in order to serve the gospel. Instead, he uses his citizenship as a, Ro- as a Roman as a means by which he can advance the gospel. You know, when there were probably weren't too many Jews that had Roman citizenship in the first century anyway, they were an oppressed people. And so this is why I think God chose him to be the apostle to the Gentiles, because how many other people could knew the Old Testament scriptures of, of that, that foretold the Messiah the way that right. the way that a, a Pharisee like Paul would, but then also had the citizenship to go to the Gentile world and bring the gospel to uncircumcised people like our ancestors were. All right. And so I think it comes down to this. Can you use can you use your sphere of influence as a platform for the kingdom of God without violating your integrity? And if the answer is yes, then do it. And if the answer is no, then don't. We got to get to a break. We'll come back. More here in a moment, live and on demand on The Blaze. Stay tuned. Hey, 
Hey, if you're thinking of using that tax refund uh, to replace your carpets because you got pet stains, other odors, hey, I've done that in the past. That's a pretty expensive buy. Before you go down that road, you must try Genesis 950 with water. Genesis 950 breaks down the bonds of stains and odors, so they are gone for good, and it's got an antibacterial component that removes pet stains and odors, but is makes it also safe for your family and your pets. You can even use it as a household cleaner on your granite countertops, uh, your garage floors. So before you make the major, major purchase of the new flooring, Give Genesis 950 a shot right now. Here's how. Uh, You can order a gallon direct at Genesis950.com. That's Genesis950.com. And you'll receive a free spray bottle and discount uh, when you use promo code BLAZE. All right, so promo code BLAZE for a discount and a free spray bottle as well. That's Genesis950.com. Genesis950.com. Give this a shot before you put down major bucks on new carpeting, genesis950.com. All right, so we're back here with uh, Ben Bruns, who's been, I, I think this is, what I love about the approach you're taking is is you're actually doing, if the situation was reversed, okay? Like, uh, let me give you a name of someone who I think isn't just giving me a shtick, but whose intellect I respect, even if I don't agree with their views. Someone like, um, like a Jake Tapper, Right. Yeah. So if Jake Tapper said, "Hey, Steve, I'm going to put you on my show for 30 minutes," all right, one Sunday morning, but I'm going to let you ask me the questions. See, I would actually ask these kinds of questions. I would try to figure out why he believes what he believes. I mean, and here's why I think that's important because one, I want to know if if there's a conviction there that's worthy of even considering, whether sure. you even know what you're talking about. But two. That also tells me whether whether we are going to agree or not, whether I'm dealing with somebody with any level of integrity. Because if I'm not, then what, then this is a pointless exercise, right? If I'm dealing with a you know a, a flame retardant incarnate, then what's the point of that, right? Sure. So I like the fact that you are attent- you are you so far anyway. We'll see what you do here in this segment. <laughs> but so far, you seem to be trying to figure out what makes somebody like me tick in a way, yeah. right? Okay. Floor is yours. And and and, um, and again, uh, I, I don't think there are that many. Uh, it's a very thin line. Um, you know, we were just talking at the break about the fact that um, e- even though I disagree uh, on the topic of um, man's nature, um, I, knowing that man is flawed and understanding that uh, that creates a sense of self-loathing, even when you're attempting to be good, mm-hmm. um, is is similar to what you're describing. Um, and I think that uh, in general right now, our society is bored. We don't have that mm-hmm. galvanizing force that uh, we have to deal with. There's so many uh, distractions that bombard us constantly um, that, you know, it's not like uh, the Cold War where we had one unified enemy. Mm-hmm. And of mm-hmm. course, we know that these guys over here are bad. And mm-hmm. You talked about the degrees of evil mm-hmm. uh, in the break. Um, so shifting away from that, what are the top three issues for you? In what context? In, 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 in politics today, if you could do three things, what would they be? You want policies? In, in, in rank order, yes. In rank order. What I, number one thing I would do is I would get rid of paycheck withholding, and I've said this for years. I'd get rid of it. Hmm. And I'd make every American write their own check to the government. Um, to truly get an appreciate, most Americans don't even look at the gross number on their paycheck, but look at the net. All right. 
Um, the U.S. Constitution is different than any government document forged by man in all of human history. And that it begins from the premise of what the government is limited to do rather than what the individual is. Mm-hmm. And so I would begin with the if you're if whether you are tired of paying eight hundred dollars for a wrench for the Pentagon, or giving a half billion dollars a year uh, to kill kids, regardless of whatever it is you are you think the largesse is the ridiculousness is, I I I can promise you if we had to write those checks ourselves, you know it, it's similar to why why is an X ray five hundred dollars and not fifty dollars. Because a third party is paying the bill. If you and I paid out of pocket directly to a doctor for an x-ray, and so the, we were, the market was determined by us as the consumer right. and the doctor is the, is the provider. Yeah. Could we afford $500 for an x-ray? No. no. We would demand something different. Yeah. And we would go someplace we had to go until we finally got it. Right. And so, now the, the, so since government's involved, it's, and insurance companies are, as a third party are involved, and then the insurance companies and the government are all in bed together to basically form a cartel, um, it's $500 for an x-ray. Yeah. All right? And then they tell you, you could never break free of us because if you do that, you couldn't afford that x-ray on yourself. And they're sure. right, but you're the reason why it costs so damn much. So that's, I, I think we need a radical revolution in the relationship between the govern the government and the governed and to get back to the notion of the consent of the governed so i would make that my number one issue my number one issue Good. is i would change okay. that relationship so so uh, unpacking that a little further mm-hmm. and na- now all of a sudden you start to go into um, it leads me into campaign finance and some of the challenges we we have uh, created for ourselves mm-hmm. along those lines, mm-hmm. right? Because how does the insurance cartel become the insurance cartel? Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously. When they said they were too big to fail, what, what the political parties meant by that 10 years ago, in my view, Ben, is they meant that if we broke the, if we allowed them to disintegrate or break up, like what happened to Ma Bell in the 80s, for example, or if we allowed them to go out of business, you know, your local bank can't afford to write a, a $20 million soft money check to the Republican or Democratic parties. But Wells Fargo can. A national bank can do that. Sure. So what they really meant by too big to fail is these political parties were really saying we're too big to fail. If we allowed these banks to break up and become local or more regional entities or these or these brokerage houses uh, to go away uh, or these uh, these these financial advisor, advisors to not be multinational conglomerates, they won't then then, you know, where are we going to get our donor money yeah. from? That's what I think it really meant. How, how do you how does it? So this has always puzzled me. How does a conservative Supreme Court, and I grew up a conservative, Mm -hmm. um, how does a conservative Supreme Court uh, make the the policy decide that Citizens United is a good idea? Well, you you will recall, I I was the tip of the sphere in – something that's never been done in American history before. And that was reminding courts what they can and cannot do. And we did that here historically in Iowa. So I'm not in favor of courts making law or, or creating policy period. Um, and I don't believe activism is when the court does what I want. Uh, <laughs> that's not activism. And when it doesn't, it's activism. Yeah. Meaning that, you know, a court, the Supreme court saying a college campus can't restrict speech is not an activist court because they all take an oath of office to uphold and defend what? The Constitution. And what's the First Amendment to the U.S. Constitution? It includes what? Freedom of speech. So that's not an, an activist court saying, or a court saying to, like if, a, if the Iowa legislature said, we're going to ban 
um, uh, we're going we're gonna to ban uh, uh, references to Judaism on college campuses. All right. And if you, that went to the Supreme Court and the Supreme Court said, you can't do that. Yeah, and, and, and said that that statute in Iowa law is not valid. I don't believe that's activism because that's a case where the court is upholding the explicit definition and intention of the U.S. Constitution. Okay. To me, activism is when judges believe that they determine what is the explicit definition and application of the Constitution. All right. So to me, in my view, the whole thing with Citizens United and campaign finance, I think your money is a form of speech. And I think what Citizens United did was it touched, we got 527 groups out of this. We got super PACs out of this. We got dark money out of this. Uh, you know, um, freedom does, is often an antidote to corruption because it creates transparency. What I think we ought to do is anybody can give whatever they want to give, however they much they want to give. It's your money. But it's, since it's to a public election, it's a matter of public record. And then, and then that's your money as a corporation. That's your money as, uh, as an LLC. That's your money as a sole proprietorship. That's your money as an autonomous individual. That's sure. your money as a married couple. And your name's on it. And your name's on it, period. That's what I think we ought to do. Okay. Yeah. Issue two. Mm-hmm. Uh, issue two, after we redefine the definition between uh, or, re, or, or we reassert the proper alignment of the relationship between the, the government and the governed, um, I think we need a very basic principle, okay? Uh, and that is what is a human life and what is not? Any culture that devalues life on any level will eventually uh, begin to devalue life at every level. That's just not avoidable. That's human nature. The reason why people don't like slippery slope arguments is they're undefeated in all of human history. They've always won because we can't stop ourselves. Once we agree, once we agree to run one of God's stop signs, we will not yield for anything else after that. We will, in fact, if anything, slippery slope arguments are wrong because we will sprint to Gomorrah, not slouch. All right. So we need a basic a basic understanding of the value of human life. I would put that at number two. But I don't believe until we have a basic understanding of of the of the role and nature of government and that we can acquire that, because I think too many people decide what's best and right based on what the government says. And this is a government that begins with the words we the people, not we the government. And then the third thing I would say is um, no. No court uh, can can legislate actionably. No court can legislate actionably. What do I mean by that? When we took on the judges in Iowa over the marriage issue, we never we never denied that the Iowa Supreme Court could rule Iowa's marriage law was unconstitutional because it says in the Iowa Constitution they have the appellate power to do that. But the Iowa Constitution also says that they cannot, therefore, make a law in response to that. All lawmaking power rests in the power of the legislature. So if the Iowa Supreme Court wanted to say, like this is what happened in Massachusetts, for example, with the Goodrich decision, what happened there, and that, that the Massachusetts state constitution was literally handwritten by John Adams. And it literally says courts cannot make law. A court opinion is not the, does not have the effect of a statute. All right. That's why we call them judges. And when we elect Congress, people are called lawmakers. They make the law. Right. And so what happened in the Goodrich opinion in Massachusetts, for example, 
is the Massachusetts Supreme Court determined that Massachusetts uh, Defense of Marriage Act violated the 14th Amendment Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution. So they sent it back to the legislature and said, here's our view of this, of this law, right? You have to act. You're the lawmakers, okay? So you either make it constitutional according to what we think is constitutional, and if you don't do that, I guess we'll have, well, then we have a further court challenge, or you can limit our jurisdiction, you can do that as well. The sure. Massachusetts legislature could have said, we're going to make marriage in Massachusetts one man, one woman, and there can be no judicial review of this. They have that power to do that as well. The Massachusetts legislature didn't do anything and let the deadline pass. Well, now Mitt Romney is the governor. He is the executor of the law. And so he has to make the decision, what is the law? Is the law the statute that the legislature passed and a governor signed, or is the law what the court, the state Supreme Court said it is? He made the decision that the law is what the state Supreme Court said it is, all right? What happened in Iowa was not that they had a different view of what the marriage law should be. It's that they then had a different view and then ordered, I think it was on April 21st, if I remember right, on April 21st, you county clerks around Iowa, you 99 of you will do what we say the law is. They can't do that. And I don't care what your politics are, you know, sooner or later, as my mama used to tell me when I was growing up, it will be no fun when the rabbits got the gun. All right. If you set the precedent that the people you don't elect, whether they're administrative agencies, you get to decide what what a state's views on marijuana are instead of the voters or the duly elected representatives or any other. If if one human one truth of human history is whenever you allow government without accountability to reign, it will reign uncontrollably. And you may think the fire is blowing in your direction one day, but then it becomes an all consuming fire and it will blow that when you drop a nuclear bomb on your neighbor's house, sooner or later, the fallout ends up in yours as well. Well, and it it applies to the executive branch too, right? The, the abuses of power of um, George W. Bush's administration, uh, executed in large part by um, the the vice president, carried through to Obama's tenure, and and so he used those same mechanisms, and and uh, Trump's administration Here, is doing the same. Here's one of the struggles we're having with the issue that you're bringing up, though, is there there's this idea then if we try to correct those things, is that executive overreach? All right, so like in let me give you an example that just happened. The president said he's going to issue an executive order uh, enforcing free speech on college campuses. Now, we haven't read the order, and I wouldn't be shocked if he never actually released it. And it was just a talking point at a rally because we've seen that too. But, but let's say said order eventually sees the light of day. And let's say that it's essentially a reassertion of the First Amendment and that he's going to enforce it. Mm-hmm. I would argue that it's not executive overreach. He is, his job is to faithfully execute the, the laws of the United States. One of the laws of the United States is free speech. College campuses on a public institution are regulated by the Department of Education. The Department of Education reports to the President of the United States. So now, it, now the way that it is applied could be executive overreach, because again, we haven't read the wording. But conceptually, is it, it's not executive overreach for, it wasn't executive overreach for President Eisenhower to say, segregation isn't the law of the land, you know, University of Arkansas. That's not, that's not executive overreach. Upholding the actual law is an executive overreach. Totally agree. So that's where we have to have an argument about what is the law and where does the law actually sure. come from. Yeah. Makes sense. Let's go back to uh, issue two. We had about three minutes. Okay. Yeah. Well, then let's not unpack that quite yet. <laughs> okay. <laughs> 
We've got another segment after this. No, we'll be done after this. Okay. We have three All minutes right. left in the show. Well, then let's... Uh, so ask let's me your that. best question. Okay. So it's on it's on two fronts, and we're both sports guys. Um, I'm going to haul out Baylor University here because lots of bad things happened mm-hmm. there recently. Mm-hmm. Imagine uh, a freshman girl, uh, innocent, homeschooled, um, you know, comes to campus, is raped by multiple football players. Mm-hmm. Happened multiple occasions. What if she becomes pregnant? Um, now what? Right? Is an act of violence uh, so human life prized above all else, mm-hmm. uh, born out of an act of violence? Uh, what is what is that mother's right? Uh, and and what what happens if she's going to die in the middle of pregnancy? Well, there's there literally is never a cause for killing a child, um, for for the sake of the mother. I mean, there's it, 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 like it's like a medical in today's technology. That one is a canard. Okay, like you, there's you, there's no point if 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 getting the child out of there saves the mother. Why then? Why we have? Why do you have to kill it on its way out? That makes that that that's that's an act of violence. Number one, and then I would, as someone who has family members who were conceived in incest, conceived and raped, and have and they have names in my family tree and in my family, um, I don't understand why an act of violence against an innocent person. Is a is a salve or an antidote to an act of violence against an innocent person? You're compounding acts of violence okay. against. I mean, we wouldn't we wouldn't go grab. You know, if 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 I did a heinous crime, you wouldn't advocate executing my son for it, would you? <laughs> no. So why, he's not. Why is he responsible for the crimes of his father? He's not. So let me ask you this: mm-hmm. Why does one party make sure that you're born, but then after that you're on your own? Mm-hmm. And the other party says, it's up to your mom. And then after that, we're going to help you. I, I think, you know what? I refuse to just defend the Republican Party on any level because they just don't deserve it. I, I think that's a bit of a canard, but I understand why you think that way to some extent. Mainly because um, in Ma- both— Mainly because it's a it's topic a, of conversation it's a political, all the time. It's, It turns out voters— and and they're more interest and they're more interested in winning elections than they are keeping their promises. Is the it, that's why I don't think it's even worth arguing a point that I don't necessarily agree with your description. Okay. Because in the end, the Republican Party will prove you effectively right by just not keeping its promises to us. And the Democrats will do the same thing across the board. That really, their their enterprises designed to to acquire power and maintain it more than they are to keep their promises to their voters. I believe we can be better. What's what's one thing you're hopeful about for the future? Uh, Jesus coming back. That's what I'm hopeful about. And I don't mean that to be trite. That's what I'm hopeful about. We got to go. Were well, you think you were treated well, fairly? Uh, absolutely. This we need great. to do this again. And we had a blast. Yeah. All right. It was Me a ton too. of fun. All right. Hey, uh, let us know what you think. Steve at stevedace.com is the email address. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Day Show. Back at it again tomorrow. Until then, John 317. This is Steve Dace on the Blaze Radio Network.